All right, let's take our Bibles over to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Again, what a joy it has been uh, to be here this week and uh, the theme of the messages as we've been going through, uh, I believe definitely has shown uh, God's hand in uh, everything that's happened uh, this week and uh, throughout the messages. But today, I also, I, it was kind of a, I felt like God was leading me in a completely different direction from what we've really been looking at up until now. So I ran it by Pastor Brian. He said, no, he felt like uh, this would definitely be what God would have for us this morning. Uh, not at all a uh, popular message, not something that uh, we, that any preacher I know likes to preach on uh, here in Luke chapter 16 as we think about what the Bible tells us about a place called hell. Uh, we would every preacher would love to preach about heaven all the time. I mean, we uh, we that song, man, "Behold Our God," and it's like when I hear churches sing that, and I've heard that now for a couple of years in different churches. It's like I feel like that's like as close as we get to like visualizing what heaven's going to be like, <laughs> of just us just belting out praise to God uh, for who He is, and I like that word "behold" and just just stopping in awe of who God is, and we have. All of eternity, that's how we're going to spend uh, the rest of that time. But he's given us this time to give a warning to people about what happens if we don't trust Christ as our Savior. And again, it's not something we relish in. You know, in Second uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter seven or chapter one, verses seven through nine, we won't have that up on the wall, but. Our text is in Luke chapter 16. But he says, When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of, our, of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The reality of hell, as I said, is just not a very pleasant or popular subject. But it needs to be preached. The devil has done a lot to desensitize people to the idea of hell. Regular cartoons and newspapers show the devil, you know, standing on a mountain with his pitchfork and the flames around him and his red leotard. Uh, you know, they, they, they picture him in this goofy, cartoonish way. Uh, and, you know, the subjects of uh, uh, below him and from the mountaintop there or, or just kind of amongst a flame. At best, they'll maybe get that part right, that there's a flame. But the people make a caricature out of hell. Movies make fun of it. All kinds of things flood our market to take the sting and the fear and the horribleness of hell. And, and constantly in TV shows and movies, people are telling someone to go there. We would never wish for our worst enemy to go there if we just knew a little bit about what hell is like. The devil's doing everything he can, though, to take the fear out of it and to take the edge off the Bible teaching about it. In recent years, there was a well-known preacher that preached salvation, preached about heaven and hell for years. And later in his life, I, began, I believe he began to suffer with uh, dementia and different things, and people would still bring him on to interviews, and he said things like, well, I no longer believe in the reality of hell. I don't believe it's a real place of torment. But that's odd, because his opinion changed, but the Bible hasn't changed. The statements are still true from God's Word. New religions are popping up all the time to help people not be afraid of hell. 
not be afraid of what might happen. The Bible says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he that rejoices shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down. The mighty man shall be humbled. And the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. Hell is a real place. Isaiah chapter 5 is what I just read there. says that it hath enlarged itself. It's opened its mouth wide. Hell, even at this moment, is receiving the souls of men and women from all over the world. Every moment, more people are dying and going to hell. Yet it never gets full. The Bible says it just enlarges itself. It says, it's, it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20, that hell and destruction are never full. Hell is big enough to accommodate every human being that has ever been born or ever will be born. And it's opening up its mouth to swallow up men and women every day. And Christ on earth preached twice as much about hell as he did about heaven. Why would he do that? Well, he preached on hell for one because he didn't want people to go there. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to keep people from dying and going to hell. And so he was there to warn them about it. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but uh, is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And though God doesn't want people to go to hell, people keep dying and going to hell because of sin. Because they've chosen to rebel against God. They've chosen to reject Christ. With sin natures, yes, I can say I was... I was born with a sin nature, but I don't even need that nature anymore. I sin by choice. Uh, we, we look, we devise ways to sin. And we devise plans to hide our sins from others. God wants people to repent and change that unbelief to belief and believe on Him and trust Christ. He says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Look, God does not want you going to hell. In fact, God's done everything He can do to keep you from going to hell. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you, to be a sacrifice for your sin, to rise from the dead so that you wouldn't have to go to this awful, horrible place. And having not an inkling of how horrible and terrible and destructive hell really is, we make jokes about it. We tell people to go there. We draw cartoons about hell. We make shows where the guy's got a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. As if it's just some kind of a mockery. But Christ thought so much of it that he gave his life and take that punishment for us. The second reason he preached on it is because even a slight understanding of that place would motivate people to get saved. And say, I want to go there. If, we, if he can just make us understand what hell is really like, none of us would want to go there. It would motivate us to get saved. Now some would say, preacher, I don't agree with scare tactics to get people saved. I... To a degree, I would say, what's wrong with scare tactics? <laughs> when I was in school, I remember, I'll never forget it. They brought in this thing, and, and I don't know how real it was at the moment. It was probably something that was kind of uh, completely manufactured to a degree, but it was a semblance of what is real. And they brought into our school when I was in fifth grade, and they said, this is the lung of someone who's been smoking for 20 years. You saw that blackened lung. They didn't have a problem trying to scare me from not smoking. My parents employed lots of scare tactics when I was kids, when I was a kid. I knew that there was a rule. If I broke the rule, there was a consequence. I know that when I drive down the highway, if I speed, there's consequences. The world tells us about consequences 
all the time. I believe if enough people get scared enough about something, they won't want to get involved in it. And we need to show them something so they'll change their mind about hell and not see it as this, oh, well, if I'm going to hell, all my friends will be there. And so I'll just be there with them. I had somebody tell me one time, I'm afraid to get saved because I know my, my husband died and wasn't saved. And so if, if that's real, then that's where he's at. And I wouldn't want him to be there by himself. What we'll read in a few moments is that anyone who's ever died and gone to hell wants desperately for everyone they know to not come join them there. But society doesn't just tell us we shouldn't break laws. It tells us what we do get if we do break laws. Schools don't tell students, as I said, not to smoke. They show them what happens. And the same thing applies to hell. A good preacher can give you all the reasons in the world to go to heaven. But sometimes we've got to preach on hell to scare people a little bit and say, I, I want to get saved. And also to remind those of us who are saved where our lost family members and friends are going. It's not just that they miss out on heaven, but they die and spend eternity in hell. So I want to look at today this situation here in Luke chapter 16. And we'll have a lot of other verses that we'll go through as well. But let's look here in Luke chapter number 16. Down in, we'll start in verse number 19. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thou life, thy lifetime did receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted, thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So what is this place called hell? What does the Bible tell us? about this place called hell. Verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that hell is a, the vengeance of God. Hell is the vengeance of God. He says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love to preach about the love of God. I love to preach about the mercy of God. I love to preach about the grace of God. But the Bible also says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And hell is when an angry God takes vengeance on those who have never believed in Him, never trusted His Son, never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't get, me, don't get the idea that hell is some kind of a slap on the wrist and, uh, or as... Catholic people might teach that it's a purgatory that you go to for a while and may get out of. That's, that's, I, I, some people are well-intentioned, but let me just say that is not in the Bible. 
There's no exit plan once you wake up in hell. You're there for all of eternity. It's the vengeance of God. And it's not just that uh, I heard that preacher that said, I no longer believe that hell is this real place of torment. He said, I think it's just a place of darkness. And we'll get to that. It is a place of darkness. But it's not just, hey, you go to a dark corner somewhere and you spend eternity right there. It's the vengeance of an almighty God pouring out on those who rejected him. God wants you today to quit trusting yourself, quit trusting your church, quit trusting your works, quit trusting your baptism, quit trusting your your finances that you've given, quit, quit trusting some candles that you've lit at a prayer service, and just trust Christ. That's it. Trust Christ. If you don't do that, then you're under the vengeance of God and will be punished with an everlasting vengeance in hell. And I don't believe humans can have the capacity nor the ability to fully comprehend what hell is like. I honestly think if we knew what hell was fully, and we could fully comprehend it, we would not be okay. We would not sleep. We wouldn't be able to eat. We wouldn't be able to think about anything else. We would not be able to ever shake that from our mind if we could ever fully comprehend that. If we actually knew the totality of the horribleness of hell, we'd go insane. God describes it, though, for us in Scripture to some degree. And so we need to read about it so that we can pull back the curtain and get a glimpse of what hell's really like. It is a place, as I did say, it is a place of darkness. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 calls it darkness. Jude, verse 13, calls it blackness of darkness. And understand that when people go to hell, they're not having a party down there. They're not having a, they're not having a, a meetup down there. They see nothing. Hell is the blackness of darkness, as it says. Unable to see your friends, unable to see the devil, unable to have eyes, or you'll have eyes, but you won't be able to see out of them. You'll have nothing except total darkness and total blackness of darkness. Some of you know Brother Randy O'Brien. He moved down to our area now 16 years ago, and he rented our basement from us in our house. And, and there's nothing like the darkness of a basement room that has no window. And uh, his room had no window. And so he said, I would stand there at the light switch and I'd stare at the room. I go, okay. As soon as I turn the light off, I'm going to try to get to the bed as quick as I can. And, and without stubbing my toe or anything like that, he said, I'd make sure my floor is perfectly clean before I. And he said, man, it is dark. And he said, I have to fall asleep quick. Otherwise, it's hard. If you don't fall asleep quick, it's hard to fall asleep at all because then it gets creepy and you hear every little noise. That's how you, every little clink on the furnace and every little thing like that. And man, it's creepy. And if you've ever been in a cave where they, they get you down there and they have all the lights in down there and all of a sudden they turn the lights out on you in your cave. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't know these other people who bought the ticket for the cave. I don't know if I feel comfortable being around like grasping my wallet, uh, just making sure. I, every time I've gone in the last several years, uh, it doesn't take long until somebody says this is creepy and hits their phone just to have some kind of light. Because they're like, I just can't do it. That's the kind of darkness we're talking about. After, we're after, after that 20 seconds, everybody's nervous. <laughs> Those who go to hell will be in total darkness and blindness and see nothing for all of eternity. Why? There's nothing to see. This isn't a tourist stop. The Bible says it's darkness, but it's also a place of fire. It says it's not popular today to preach about hell being a place of fire. 
A lot of famous preachers have started to say, well, I just don't know if hell has fire. It started with a book. Uh, there's a really good book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. It's a really good book. This guy said, I, I don't believe in Christ. I'm going I'm to prove he doesn't exist. And then he got saved while he was trying to prove he doesn't exist. But then he wrote a second book called The Case for Faith. And there's some things in that book that are not good. And in that book, it says hell's not a real place. And he begins to quote all these preachers that say hell no longer. I can't preach anymore that hell is a place of torment and has flames. Well, can I say the same Bible that once said hell has fire still says hell has fire. In fact, Matthew chapter 18, verse 8 says it has everlasting fire. That means it didn't blow out in the last 50 years while these guys were preaching these things. Luke 16 tells this story about the rich man in hell. And can I tell you, this is not a parable. Parables didn't use men's names. Lazarus was a real... Now, when we go before the Lord and he says, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. That's why we don't get the name of the rich man. He says, I never knew you. But he knew Lazarus. And so we got Lazarus' name. So we know who Lazarus is. This is a real story. Can I tell you that rich man is still today asking for just a drip of water. Just a drip of water. 2,000 years later. He said, I'm tormented in this flame. Jude 7 calls it eternal fire. It's not quenched. never dies down. never fades away. never goes out. never subsides. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 calls it the lake of fire and brimstone. If you ever, I, I didn't learn how to swim until I was in my 30s. Uh, I, we went to Indian Creek Baptist Camp. Some of you know Indian Creek. I know your church went there for several years. They have a thing there called the blob. And you get out, some of you know what the blob is. You go out there, it's like a big balloon out in the middle of the water. And one guy gets on one end, somebody jumps off a platform and sends them into orbit. And they go flying up. And all the teenagers were like, I bet Pastor Kleitz could really make me fly far. <laughs> And so they're all like, hey, Brother Clyde, can you blob me? Can you blob me? Can you jump off the platform and blob me? And they're all thinking, man, this would be great. If, if, if he does it, we might get records, uh, like how far we, we fly. And I was like, I can't swim. I can't do it. And so I came home, and I was like, i got to learn how to swim this year. I said, I, you know, those kids really wanted me to do that. That would have been fun. And there's a few kids I wouldn't mind flinging uh, pretty far. So I was like, i got to do this. That year, I, I started losing a bunch of weight. I lost like 100 pounds. By the end of the year, they're like, we don't want you blobbing us. We'll blob you. You lost all this weight. And so this year, they'll be asking me to blob them again. I'm back, back to trying to work towards their end. But, you know, they said, oh, we don't want you to blob. But that year, I said, I'm going to learn to swim. One of the things I did, I, was, I went to the YMCA. And I, I didn't take lessons or nothing. But I, I got my kids' memberships there at the YMCA. And we're there. And we're in the pool. And then watching these, like, seven-year-old girls swim around the pool. And I'm like, this is humiliating. But I, and I'm like, I know fat floats. So I know I can do this. Like, I know. I'm, not, I'm very self-aware here. And I was like, I, I, I can figure this out. So after about two or three days, I just kind of taught myself. That was embarrassing around all these little kids, and they're all trying to help me. One of the kids is like, here, I'll help hold you up. I'm like, it's okay, kid. I don't need a murder charge on my, my rap here. You know, I'll help you. But in a couple of days, I learned how to swim. But man, when I was a kid, I was terrified of water. And my sister, sisters are just, let me, let me be honest, sisters are the worst, okay? <laughs> no, I'm, if you have sisters, I'm, you know what I mean. I mean, uh, I'm just kidding. If you are a sister, sorry. 
But my sisters were, were, we were pretty rough with one each other. And my sister was the one that, she loved to just come up behind me and dunk me under the water. And man, I was terrified. And so I'm out there in the water all the time in the pool. I'm like, you know, I just paranoia the whole time. And inevitably she'd end up, you know, getting me at some point. And she didn't just dunk you, she would hold you under. And, uh, and man, it was rough. When me and Don first started, uh, we, well, when we were engaged, we, we went somewhere and we were going to go swimming. And, and I'm like trying to be cool, you know, we're engaged. I'm like, I don't want to look like the loser. Like, I'm scared to death of this water. So I'm just hanging out over by the edge. And she's like, ah, oh, come on out here and swim. Come swim a little bit. And I'm like, ah, I really, I'm, I'm not that good at swimming. That's what I said. And then I'm terrified in this moment. Oh, I can't swim. Oh, no, no, you're fine. And so try to act cool. You know, she's like, oh, come out here with me. So we get out a little bit out into the water, and all of a sudden I start to go under. And I start grasping for her, which pulled her under. And my loving fiancé did not try to save my life. She proceeds to put her hands on top of my head and pushes herself back up and me to the bottom of the pool. And I was like, if you want out of the marriage, just tell me. But she learned that, no, I really don't know how to swim, and I'm really terrified of it. Being in this lake of fire, I know how helpless I felt then. Being in a lake of fire, in darkness. can't imagine the helplessness they will feel. They'll flounder and fail their, flail their arms and try to keep themselves upright, but they won't know which way is up, which way is down. They can't see anything to make any correlation to any of this. They'll splash around in the lake of fire with nothing to put their feet on, nothing to grab a hold of, no life preservers, no one to cry out to for help. Matthew chapter 13, verse 42 calls it a furnace of fire. I'm sure most of you have been burned to some degree at one time or another. And it's certainly, it's certain that you didn't like that. But it's certain that you also don't want to be thought, thinking of the idea of being thrown into a furnace of fire. You might wonder, well, if it's fire, why are they not consumed? The same way the burning bush was not consumed. Moses looked at that bush and he said he saw a bush that was burning but not being consumed. The person who goes to hell will be in this lake of fire and they will not burn up. They'll burn forever. It's not annihilation. It's eternal torment. You'll never stop. It's also a bottomless pit it's described. Revelation chapter 20 verse 3 describes it as a bottomless pit. They'll be cast into this where there's no bottom. They'll tumble and fall and tumble and fall and tumble and fall for all of eternity in this blackness of darkness in the flames of the fire. Never finding a, even a mo- We think of sometimes about the flame. They're never going to have a moment of rest. <clears throat> never anything to grab a hold of. Never a place to stand on. Never a place to sit down. Never have anything they can touch to help find reality. You think, man, that's horrible. Why would, why would God describe it so horribly? Because it's horrible. That's why. It's the vengeance of God. It's the punishment of sinners. <coughs> the Bible describes it as this place of torment. Look over in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter number 8, down in 
verse number 12. Where he says, The children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A couple chapters later, he talks about there being wailing and gnashing of teeth in chapter 13, verse 42. They'll not only weep and wail, but they'll hear the countless weeping and wailing of other millions of people dealing with us. Imagine what it'll be like for all of eternity, your ears hearing the screaming and the screeching and the wailing and the weeping of others, while you yourself just add to the chorus of that terrible place. Paul talks about there being the gnashing of teeth, it's like the grinding of teeth. As people are just trying everything they can to find comfort. Grinding their teeth but never grinding them down. It will just be constant. The Bible says there are torments in hell. That chapter we read, or the verse we read in Luke chapter 16, it describes this story of this man who dies, the rich man. And it says in hell he lifted up his eyes and he cried and said, Father, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For what? I am tormented in this flame. Revelation 14.11 speaks of this torment when it says, The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Never stops. The darkness never stops. The smoke never stops. The fire never stops. The torment never stops. The weeping and the wailing never stop. The gnashing of their teeth never stop. The falling never stops. You know, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. I tell you, there's no love in hell. In hell, all their experience is this horrible torment, this horrible fear. Powerful, all-consuming fear because there is no love to cast it out. The Bible talks about it being a place of bondage. There in Matthew, you're in Matthew. Look over to Matthew chapter 22. Down in verse number 13, it says, And the king of the servants said to him, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, talk about binding them hand and foot. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, speaks about the fallen angels being held in chains of darkness. People in hell will be as if they're bound hand and foot. They have no chains about them, or they have chains about them like as they're bound. They can't go anywhere. It's not like they can just, like I said earlier, people think, I'm going to go and meet up with my friends there. They don't get to go where they want to go. They can't do what they want to do. They can do nothing. I thought about it this way. They'll, like, they'll do nothing but exist while wishing to have never existed. That's it. They'll be completely bound. Feet and hands will be bound. Won't be able to move. Can't walk or run. Can't even wave. Revelation 14 11 says there's no rest. Never a moment to unwind. Daniel chapter 12 describes it as a place of shame and everlasting contempt. In hell, there'll be nothing but deep and dark, crippling depression. Sinners take all their shame to hell. They'll know they're guilty. They'll know what they've done. They'll know, they'll remember opportunities that they had. Nothing but the depths of depression in hell. To hold in contempt means to abhor, to despise, or to detest. There's no... You know, you think we have self-esteem problems here. The worst self-esteem problems would be in hell, where people recognize their guilt. You'll abhor yourself, detest yourself, despise yourself, hate yourself. Though you'll want to kill yourself, you won't be able to. You'll want to die, but you won't be able to die. You'll want to be saved, but it'll be too late to be saved. 
You'll want to be changed, but you won't be able to change. You'll hate yourself, have contempt for yourself, and you'll live with that shame and depression for all of eternity. Something else that stuck out to me about Luke chapter 16 is there was a memory there. He knew who Lazarus was. He remembered his brothers. For all of eternities, individuals who go to hell will remember that they didn't have to go there. They could have gotten saved, gone to heaven. They didn't have to be in that horrible place. They'll, for all of eternity, remember every opportunity they rejected. I believe they'll remember times they picked up tracks and threw it away. They'll remember the times they turned off the TV and hid when the pastor was knocking at their door. I was telling Brother Parker yesterday, I was knocking on some doors a little while back, and I heard somebody two doors down. They're like, quick, turn the lights off. The church people are coming. It was like the Minutemen, you know, the British are coming. No, the church people are coming. Pretend we're not here. And they didn't want anything to do with us. You want to know one of the things that could be very tormenting about hell? For if, you, if you're here today and you die and you go to hell, for all of eternity, you're going to remember this face. And you're going to remember you had a chance today. You're going to remember this face. That's torment, Brother Randy. That's torment. I'm sorry I put you in this position, but now you're going to remember this face for all of eternity if you go to hell. Because you're going to go, man, that day I sat at Lighthouse Baptist Church. And that guy got up and he told us we didn't have to go to this place. You might say, well, Brother Kleitz, all these people here, they're all saved. <laughs> they come to church. They know these things. Some of you know the testimony. I was a youth pastor here for two years almost. Went home to my home church in March. September, we're having revival at our church. And my wife, during the invitation, said, we need to go to the altar. I said, okay. We get down there, she said, I need to get saved. She said, I need to get saved. And I said, I've seen you lead other people to the Lord. I've seen you share the gospel with other people. And she said, I know. And she said, and this isn't something that just kind of popped in my head today. She said, for years I've been trying to squash this. I, I, I didn't really get saved when I was a kid when I said I did. And, and since then I've just been thinking, well, I mean, I, I understand it now. And uh, so I'll just, maybe I just need to do more for the Lord. <laughs> and so, yes, she worked in Sunday school. Yes, she worked in junior church. She did all those things. But had Christ come back or we died while we lived here in Ludington, she would have spent eternity in hell. And she would have had to remember all those times that God had touched her heart and said, make it today. Don't wait another day. Aren't you glad? Most of you, I won't have you raise your hand. Most of you could probably say, I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel. Aren't you glad God, God was long-suffering with you? Amen. If you're here and you'd say, well, I'll just put it off. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. This could be the last chance you have. And you'll spend eternity with that memory of that time you heard, but you walked away. You'll remember every invitation you ever heard, every gospel track placed in your hand, every invitation that you were given to get saved, everyone that ever asked for you to get saved, every, every time somebody invited you to church. You'll remember every opportunity that you had, and you'll regret that you didn't take those opportunities. You'll remember it, but it'll be too late. The Bible tells us it's a place of desire. This rich man had a desire. He, he had a desire for some water. <laughs> he said, just one drop of water. And dip it on my tongue. One little drop. Now let me ask you, what would that one little drop do? In the flames. Nothing. But he's just decided, just just one little drop. If you ever drop one drop of water into a hot plate, it might last a couple seconds. The rich man is begging. He's crying out for just that slight 
moment of relief. It didn't come. For all of eternity, you'll, you'll desire to see, you won't see. You'll desire for the flames to stop, they won't stop. You'll desire to be free, you won't be free. You'll never be granted even one of your desires. Like, an, like a drug addict going through withdrawal. You'll have those strong desires, but you won't get them. This man had a desire to save his brothers. He didn't want them to come into this terrible place. Sometimes the hardest thing you do is preach a funeral for somebody that you've witnessed to, you've tried to see them get saved, and they rejected, and then they die. And we all do the same thing. We hope that though they rejected when I talked to them, that maybe in the last night or something, I had an uncle that, man, I witnessed to all the time. And he, he passed away, and he had rejected it every time I ever tried to witness to him. Men in my family, many of us have died of heart attacks suddenly. Just everything's fine, boom, they have a heart attack. The doctors have said they were dead before they hit the ground. This one uncle who I'd witnessed too many times had a heart attack. He laid there for an hour before he died, trying to call the 911, waiting on 911 to get there. My only hope is that in that hour, he had heard the gospel, he got saved. But I couldn't say at his funeral, man, I'm so thankful that he knew the Lord. But all I could say to them is, hey, I promise you today, and I used his name, that, my, that Uncle Everett wants everybody in this room to hear the gospel. I don't know where he's at, but I promise you, no matter where he's at, he wants everybody in that room to hear the gospel. Every person that has ever died wants the gospel preached at their funeral. They didn't while they were living, but the moment they die, they want the gospel preached at their funeral. Not one person in hell wants anybody else to come there. If they could, they would scream from hell right now, don't come here. Turn to Christ today. Don't come here. It's a place of physical bodies which face the destruction the rich man had eyes. He had a mouth. He had a tongue. He said, bring that water and put it on my tongue. This wasn't just some like spirit that's there, that there's no body, and that he just kind of, again, just ceasing to exist in this life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says that they should be punished with everlasting destruction. Destruction doesn't mean annihilation. It means ruination, separation from God. Those in hell will be totally separated from any interaction with God. The Bible says that God is light. That's why it's dark there. God's not there. The light's not there. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love and that love casts out fear. That's why it's full of torment and fear. Matthew chapter 19, verse 17 says there's none good but God. There's no goodness in hell. Not any semblance of goodness. Romans 15, verse 33 says, God is peace. Separated in hell, there's no peace in hell. John 14, 16 says, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. There's no comfort found in hell. Psalm 16, 12 says, unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. There will be no mercy in hell. Psalm 16, 11 says, that in thy presence is fullness of joy. There will not even be one chuckle in hell. There will be no, no laughter. No presence of joy. Lastly, I want you to think about today who's going to be there. Who's going to be there in hell? 
Remember it said in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obeyed not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So everyone who has ever been born on earth and died without trusting Christ as their Savior will be in hell. He says, whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So if your name is not written there, you will be cast into a lake of fire. The Bible says this book is the Lamb's book of life. The only way you can get your name in there is by having Christ as your Savior. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without Christ, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But with Christ, we've been quickened and made alive and been given everlasting life. So the only way to be made alive is to be quickened through Christ. If you've never trusted in Him, you've never been made alive. Then your name is not in that book. And if you die before that happens, there are no second chances. There was a book that came out a couple years ago called Love Wins. Sounds like a nice thought. But in the book, this author says that after you die, you have one more chance. And he says, so how are we to say that Hitler didn't take that last chance and trust God? He said, oh, you get one more chance. The problem is the Bible doesn't say I get another chance. The Bible says the point that a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Not another negotiation. It's the judgment. The Bible says, who's the Bible talk about being there? Well, in Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. That's the crowd that's going to be there in hell. And if you're unsaved, you'll be part of that crowd. The unbelieving, he said. So yes, Hitler will be there. Yes, Osama bin Laden is there. Yes, Attila the Hun is there. And all these, like, it's so easy to picture. Yes, these horrible people, they've gone there. But can I tell you something? The nice, sweet old lady down the end of your street who's never trusted Christ will be there too. Grandma, who thought a rosary bead was going to get her to heaven, will be there too. Why? Because it's not a scorecard. Oh, well, only the worst of the worst go there. It's the unbelieving the unbelieving are part of that crowd. Didn't say, well, if they weren't a nice, if they were a nice guy, though, we'll give them a pass. I've done, a, I've probably done in twenty plus years of, of ministering, I've probably done sixty funerals. Just, I'm, I'm just throwing that number out there as a, probably a pretty close guess. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people who had had no clue about a salvation testimony of the person who died say things like, "Well, if anybody's in heaven, they are." They were like the nicest person ever. Every time I went to their house, they made me cookies. Um, they were just the sweetest person. None of this has any semblance of what the Bible says gets us to heaven. Now, should say people be sweet, nice people? They should be. Are they always? Stick around. You'll find out. Not always. But should they be? Yes. Sometimes we have a tendency to... We think, man, I need to get the gospel to this guy. Look at that guy. I need to get the gospel to that guy. Man, I, we, we do a soul winning ministry at the, the state fair. And it's tough sometimes because you'll have like 15 people walking down the aisle. You've got to pick somebody to try to stop and try to witness to. And in our mind, we start to judge. Which one looks like they most need the gospel? And we look at some people. And I, I look at them and I'm like, man, that guy's got 
like a University of Louisville shirt on, he probably definitely needs to get saved. <laughs> if he's got a Kentucky shirt on, I'm like, ah, he's probably good. Let him go. No. Now we might look at them and we, we look at the way they're dressed. We look at their hair. We, we, we sometimes might look at their countenance. We might, we might look at all, all kinds of different things. And that just shows the human nature. The Bible says that God looketh on the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance. We do look at, let's be honest, we look at the outward appearance. But we do a great disservice to the nice, sweet old lady down at the end of our road if we aren't taking the gospel to her. Because she'll end up there too if she's unbelieving. And hell, yes, there'll be the devil, the demons, the fallen angels, the false prophet, the beast, the wicked, the terrible, the horrible sinners who never trusted Christ. But you'll be there too if you don't turn to Christ. Yet today, you have that chance. Some people say, well, I, and this is my favorite, I just don't believe in hell. Can I tell you, your faith or your belief do not alter whether it's true or not. It's true because God said it's true. Can you imagine standing before God and God is, you're at the great white throne judgment. And you stand before God and you go, um, I don't believe in you. So I'll just be seeing you now. I'll, I'll go on my way. I just don't believe in you. God says that in Romans, he says that God has put enough natural revelation in us. Everybody knows there's a God. This is why you go to every culture, they're worshiping something. They got a totem pole. They got something that they're worshiping. Why? Because they know there's something out there past them. But they won't seek after him. And if we seek after him, we draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to us. So I just don't believe God would send me there. He's trying his best not to. People say, well, God, and I understand what we mean by this. People say, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They send themselves. We understand that, but the Bible does say that he will cast them into hell. I'm not a huge fisherman, but I know what casting means. He's not, at that moment, he's no longer saying, hey, let me, let me give you one more chance. No, you've had your chance, and now he says we would be cast into hell. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. You're not going to get saved by the Virgin Mary or by saints. You're not going to get saved by some rosary beads. You're not going to get saved by lighting candles. You're not going to get saved by the baptismal waters. You're not going to get saved because mom and dad are saved. You're not going to get saved because grandpa was a preacher. You're not going to get saved doing anything except trusting Christ and Christ alone as your personal Savior. Hell is a place of punishment, but Christ took that punishment. He died in your place. He was smitten. He was rejected. He bore your sins. He, the Bible says he became sin for us. And he took the punishment that you and I deserved. The Bible says hell's the vengeance of God. He poured out that vengeance on his only son right there on the cross. And it's amazing when you go back in the Old Testament, it says it pleased the Father to do this. Why? Because it was the plan from the foundation of the world that he would redeem us to himself. John verse 12, chapter, chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And the only way you can get saved is to trust Christ as your Savior. Believe on him, trust on him, ask him to forgive your sins, take him as your substitute, take him as the payment. And if you don't, then the reality is, as much as we don't want to talk about it, hell's a real place, and we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. Every funeral, I've never gone to a funeral where somebody said, well, they're definitely in hell. We all want to believe everybody that dies 
They're in a better place. We hear it all the time. Oh, they're in a better place now. We'll say somebody dies when they're, they're sick. They've been sick and they've been in just in, in a hospital bed for a while and they'll die. And we'll say, well, they're doing much better now. Can I tell you, if I die on my healthiest day, I'm still doing much better. But if I die and go to hell and I was in torment in this life, I would come back to this torment any day to have an opportunity to get saved. Our, our physical condition at the time of our death isn't, about if, isn't what makes it a good thing or a bad thing that we have passed to the other side. It's did we know the Lord. That's what makes the difference. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, here's the best news you can hear ever. <laughs> You'll never experience hell at all. You never have to worry about, well, I was saved, but then I lost it. No, when I got saved, I got eternal life. You know what eternal means? It means it doesn't stop. I was quickened. I was made alive, and I was given eternal life. I don't get eternal life the moment I leave this world. I got eternal life the moment I trusted Christ as my Savior. It's eternal. He's not taking it away from us. You will never smell the stench of the burning flesh in hell. You'll never smell the smoke of hell. You'll never, you will spend eternity with God the Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. You'll spend eternity in His presence where the Bible says there is fullness of joy. So where will you spend eternity? Are you going to have a blessed eternity or a cursed eternity? Can you spend eternity in hell or in heaven? I can say this, it's your choice, but you need to choose. You need to choose this day whom you'll serve. Decide what you will do with Christ. It's not enough to know about Him. It's not enough to just acknowledge that I believe that God is real and that Jesus existed. He must be your personal Savior. A couple of years ago, uh, right before COVID actually started, um, we were in D.C. when everything was kind of breaking loose with COVID. I remember I was in D.C. and I told my son that morning, I said, I'll believe this COVID thing is actually going to have a big impact on our society when they start losing money by canceling major sporting events. That afternoon, we've canceled the NCAA basketball tournament. And I was like, okay, maybe this is going to be a big deal uh, at this point. But we were in D.C. and we were excited. We, we went to this thing called Capital Connection and we were going to go hand out Bibles to all these senators and get to pray with them. It was pretty cool. But being from Indiana, Vice President Pence said, all the pastors that are here from Indiana, I want to invite to my office for a Bible study this afternoon. So it was, it was a pretty big deal, pretty cool. Unfortunately, he got called away because he got put in charge of all the COVID stuff. And so we got to meet with some of his staff and it was still kind of neat. We were in the I think it's called the uh, FDR building right next door to the White House. And when we left there, I took a wrong turn. And I didn't go out the door I came in. I opened up the door to come out, and there's the White House. Like, I could have thrown a rock and hit it. I wouldn't recommend that, by the way. But I could have thrown a rock and hit the White House. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I told Caleb, I said, our car is actually parked, you know, on the other side of the White House. So let's just try to go out here, and we can kind of get as close to the White House as we can. That'll be kind of cool. And so we start to walk, and we come through the parking lot, and we come up to this sidewalk, and I'm, I'm like halfway down the sidewalk right here. The entrance for the sidewalk is down a good ways, and there's like these poles with like the chains kind of coming from pole to pole, but I see the entrance right down there. So I'm like, obviously this sidewalk is allowed to be walked on, you would think. And so I said, we need to get on the sidewalk to go out. Let's just step over the chain. 
my thought is, I mean, the entrance is right there. Couldn't find out if I'd have gone down the entrance, so they'd have stopped me and said, no, you can't use the sidewalk. So I step over the chain, and I go to take a few steps, and Caleb's like mid-step over the chain, and he's like this, and all of a sudden this huge alarm goes off, and he just stops, looking like the karate kid or something, you know? And he's just stopping, and I'm looking back, and I'm like, oh, no, what did we do? And these two ATF officers come running up. They got their guns. Like, they weren't drawn at us, but they've got them like, in their hands. And they come running up. What are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, just trying to get to my car. Just trying to get to my car. Please don't shoot me. I just I don't want to die today, okay? You know, it was like a terrifying moment. They come running up. And they're like, you know, you can't use it. And they're like, they're like escorting us off the property. Like, you got to go out this way. But now we don't trust you to go out that way. So we're going to walk you out. And they got like snipers up on top of the White House. And like, in my paranoia, I'm like, oh, they're watching me. I mean, it was like three miles down the road. I'm like, can they still see my car? Like, I'm paranoid at this point. You know, like, they're going to kill me. Here's the thing. If I were to walk up to the White House and I said at that time, hey, I, I want to get in. I want to see President Trump. Oh, well, you can't get oh, I mean, I know President Trump. I could give you all kinds of facts about him. Oh, he's a real estate mogul from New York. He's got a really orange tan. Um, you know, I can tell you all kinds of... He's, He's got hair, but it still ain't much better than mine. You know, I can tell you all kinds of things about him. I can tell you about different policies he had made. I could tell you about different things he had said in his speeches. I could tell you about his wife. I could tell you about uh, his son, Baron. I could tell you about some of his other children. I could tell you all these things. I'm not getting in the White House. But if President Trump were in there and he knew me and he looked out the window and he said, Hey, I know that guy. Send him in. Man, I, I'm going to send somebody out there. I know him. Send him in. See, it wasn't enough that I knew about him. He needed to know me. And there's going to be people that stand before the Lord one day, and they're going to say, hey, I should get into heaven. I know I, I grew up in church. I got baptized. I did all They're going to know all things about Jesus Christ. And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. doesn't matter what you know about him. Do you know him? That's what matters. Not how many verses you can recite. Not what's your attendance record like at church. Not how many, how many arguments have you won at work about the Bible. But you know him. I promise you today, he knew you were going to be here today. And he wanted you to have a chance to know him. And if you're here today and you say, I know him. How much have you tried to make him known to others? What an ungrateful thing to know God Almighty and keep it to yourself and not tell it. I wonder how many people will wake up in hell one day and see you in heaven and say, why'd you never tell me? I know that I have one person that as far as best I know, they're in hell and that they could rightfully look at me and say, you had a bunch of opportunities and you never told me. A young man in my neighborhood named Fred. I didn't like Fred. Fred was a bully. He was older than us. He picked on my sisters all the time. I didn't like Fred. But we hung around a lot of the same people. I invited every friend I had in the neighborhood to church. I gave gospel tracts to every friend in my neighborhood. I witnessed every friend in my neighborhood. I never witnessed a Fred. Never invited him to church. Never gave him a track. At 16 years old, I get a call. Fred died in a car wreck. And immediately, all I could think about was, I never told him. I never gave him a track. Didn't invite him to church. Why? Because I didn't like him. 
how much must we hate people to let them go out into eternity without letting them know of the one who died for them? He loves them. You have never met a person that Christ didn't die for. You have never met a person that Christ doesn't love. It's our responsibility, once we're saved, to go and tell them and to warn them so that they can come and be saved as well. So what about you? Do you know him today? Again, it's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to just acknowledge that he is. You must receive him and trust him alone as your Savior. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nobody's looking around, and to be honest with you, many of you, I don't know your name. I don't know anything about your life. I don't know anything about your story. I don't know any of those things. And so nobody's looking around but me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that. I want to know how to best pray for you. And so if you'd say, Pastor, I'm just going to acknowledge today that I do not know for sure that if I died today that I would escape hell and that I would spend eternity in heaven. If you would say today, I'm not 100% sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you just slip your hand up very briefly, just so I know how to best pray for you. Anybody today that would just say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not really sure that I'm saved today. Amen. Any other, you can put your hand down. Any others that would say, I'm not really sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know how to best pray for you. Those of you that have slipped your hand up, I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. Any others that would just say, Pastor, pray for me. I just want to acknowledge that. Amen. Those of you that have slipped your hand up, and, and to be honest, maybe there's some who should have slipped their hand up but didn't. But those of you that slipped your hand up, I saw your hand go up, and so if you come forward, I'll know why you're coming forward. And we'll have Brother Randy, we'll get somebody with you. If you're a man, we'll have a man work with you, a lady, a lady work with you. And we want to answer those questions so that you can know for sure that if you died today, that you would go to heaven. I'm going to ask the piano to begin to play here, and we're not going to sing or anything, but as the music's playing, if you slipped your hand up, would you come forward and allow us to take the Scripture and show you how you can be saved. Or maybe you didn't slip your hand up, but you'd say, I just want to pray for somebody that I know that's lost. I don't want them to go out in eternity and spend eternity in that place that was talked about this morning. You'd say, I want to take some time at this altar today to pray for that loved one who's lost. Whatever God has spoken in your heart about, you come and do business with God this morning. in your head when I said that. There might be a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, somebody that you know that you, you say, I don't know for sure if they're saved. Maybe you can find your place around this altar and pray for that person. I, don't, I believe God put their, their name in, or their face in your head for that reason that you might pray for them. I pray that you do business with God today.